0: The vote is underway in the UK Parliament. Carol will bring you those results live when they happen. We're also going to catch up with the CEO of Syngenta making a bold move into the world of sustainability. It feels like Putting his money where his mouth is here.
1: Exactly. So we'll hear from him as also uh, his chief sustainability officer. We've got 50 companies to watch. It's in the upcoming issue of Bloomberg Business Week. And Under Armour, Kevin Plank out as CEO, not totally leaving the company he founded, but this is a big change from the company that he has been running for more than two decades. And then we're going to talk about TI earnings. I think it's important to focus on that chip sector.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So a lot to get to coming up. So how do we make sense of all of this going on at once? You heard Charlie talk about the market reaction to all these headlines. Headline bingo once again today. Let's turn to our boys to set the Business Week agenda. Joe Weisenthal, Markets Editor for Bloomberg, the co-host of What'd You Miss? That's coming up at 4 p.m. Wall Street time on BTV. And Dave Wilson, Stocks Editor, author of The Chart and The Stock of the day. So Dave, I want to start with you. What's the one thing you're looking at amid these this sea of headlines?
2: Well, just such a mixed bag when it comes to earnings today and, you know, not something that we've seen up to now in earnings season. And maybe the easiest way to kind of illustrate that is to look at the four companies in the Dow Jones Industrial Average that reported results before the opening bell. You got Procter & Gamble, their fiscal first quarter results, beating analysts' average estimates in Bloomberg's survey, and that stock's up more than 3%. You've got United Technology coming out ahead of projections for the third quarter, uh, raising their full-year forecast. Which, by the way, uh, P and G did as well. United Technology is up 2.3 percent. And on the other hand, yeah, McDonald's down four and a half percent. There were U.S. results really uh, the source of that kind of decline because uh, they came up short on the top line and bottom line, and the U.S. sales just didn't measure up to what people were looking for. And Travelers down 7.4 uh, percent. Their third-quarter earnings well below projections. They're talking about legal costs. They're talking about weather related losses. But that contrast really shows you what's going on in terms of earnings and why stocks really have no direction if you look at the S&P 500 at the moment.
1: All right, let's bring in Joe Weisenthal. Joe, what's the one thing you think uh, investors need to know on this Tuesday?
3: Well, it's kind of quiet, but you know, right now as we're talking, we're about to get the thick of uh, brexit news and i do think that one of the weirder things that's happened over the last couple of weeks is that brexit news is not is uh, no longer been uh, confined to uk and that brexit news has moved global markets so i am uh, talking to you but also with one eye looking at uh, our coverage because this is now at least for for the moment a macro story
1: yeah, no doubt about it. And I feel like you know investors continue to deal with so many different macro stores. It's something we talk about in the magazine this week and really question, you know can we once again kind of climb this wall of worry when yeah. it comes to the trade? All right, Joe Weisenthal, thank you so much. Markets editor at Bloomberg News, co-host of What'd You Miss? Find that at 4 p.m. Wall Street time on Bloomberg TV. Dave Wilson, he's going to be back a little bit later on with his chart and stock of the day. He's our stocks editor at Bloomberg News. Let's get a check on World and National News headlines. For that, let's turn things over to Bob Moon.
4: Carol, thank you. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell put the brakes on a move to impose sanctions on Turkey over its incursion into Syria. Bloomberg's Irv Chapman reports from Capitol Hill. McConnell introduced his own resolution that calls on President Trump to end the drawdown of U.S. forces from the area and rethink his invitation for Turkey's President Erdogan to visit the White House. Sanctions may play an important role, and I'm open to the Senate considering them. But we need to think extremely carefully before we employ the same tools against a democratic NATO ally that we would against the worst rogue states. Committees of both houses are holding hearings this week on the president's unexpected decision to pull the United States out of its alliance with the Syrian Kurd forces that have fought the Islamic State. On Capitol Hill, Irv Chapman, Bloomberg Radio. The Congressional Black Caucus is condemning President Trump's comparison of impeachment to lynching. Democrat Karen Bass of California, the group's chairwoman, called lynching a horrific stain on our country's history and said it's wrong to compare the systematic brutal torture and murder of thousands of African Americans to a constitutional process of investigation. The only black Republican in the Senate is sticking up for Trump, telling reporters that while he himself wouldn't use the word. He understands the president's point. There's no question that the impeachment process is the closest thing of a political death row trial. So I get his uh, absolute rejection of the process. The black lawmaker disagreed with a reporter's suggestion that the word is Verily, very racially charged. Global News, 24 hours a day, on air and a TikTok on Twitter, powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. I'm Bob Moon. Jason, Carol, back to you.
0: Bob, thanks so much. You are listening to Bloomberg Business Week. Jason Kelly and Carol Masser, right here on Bloomberg Radio. They
5: they to, down on the farm.
1: They yeah, we're talking. They about farming and we're talking about sustainability. Underway at Bloomberg headquarters, the Bloomberg Sustainable oh, my Business my Summit. Friend. Our next two guests participating in the summit and let's talk about what they are up to at Syngenta when it comes to sustainability, some big initiatives. Let's bring in Syngenta CEO Eric Fearwald and Alexandra Brand, who is Chief Sustainability Officer at the Basel, Switzerland-based company, both in our Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studio in New York. Uh, my co-host Jason Kelly out there in our LA Bureau. So nice to have both of you with us. Um, Eric, let's just get right to it. What are you guys doing at Syngenta when it comes to sustainability? Because I do feel like everybody's talking about it. Different companies approach it differently. Tell us about your initiatives.
6: First of all, everything we do at Syngenta now has to do with sustainability because agriculture is right at the heart of sustainability. This year, the extreme weather events that farmers all over the world had to deal with was unimaginable. Before, An eye-opening,
1: I feel like, for many.
6: uh, Unbelievable. If you you were here, you saw the flooding in the United States. And it's not just part of the United States, massive part of the United States. And it wasn't just a five-year or 10-year flood, a historic flood of all times. At the same time in Australia, we're having the worst drought in history, highest temperature ever recorded in France and other things like that. It's happening all the time. So we have to help farmers deal with climate change, weather extremes. The second thing we have to do is we have to, as an industry, be part of the solution to climate change. Yeah. We've got to reduce our carbon emissions, help be part of the solution that ends up reducing carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. So, so climate change is, 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 is halted. That, that, so we've got to do both. And that's what we announced today. Was $2 billion. Everything we do goes to sustainability, but $2 billion towards breakthrough innovations, things that are really going to help step change things here.
0: All right, so Alexandra, take us a level down on that $2 billion. How are you going to spend it? Where are you going to spend it? What does that disbursement look like? Yeah.
7: Growers deeply care about their soils. And soils is something which ensures their productivity and at the same time helps to sequester carbon in the soil. So a lot of that money will be spent on good soil management. We are looking at innovating in agricultural systems. So here in the United States, for example, we help growers to decrease the carbon footprint of their farm, increase the carbon content of their soil, decrease their water footprint, and with that, connect them to food companies who give them a better revenue for the crops they've grown because they've been growing more sustainable. So this is a model we feel is scalable and we say we'll put much more money in matching seeds varieties to these soils and digital solutions to ensure you know, the right signs being reported year over year and traceability and transparency for food companies and consumers.
1: How can you move, in terms of sustainability um, actions, move others, whether it's companies that you work with, whether it's your customers, whether it's your suppliers, to get everybody on board, right? Because we really need an all-in focus in order to make a difference.
6: I, I think the ultimate here is the consumers want this. Consumers want sustainably grown food. So we're starting to work with food companies and NGOs like the Nature Conservancy, who is with us on stage today at the Bloomberg Conference, Right. Uh, but food companies like Kellogg's and General Mills to to work with farmers in the US to make sure that they're growing using the best sustainability practices, keeping the carbon in the soil, um, the fewest passes over their farm, whatever it takes to have the best sustainability metrics. And then what, what, what Kellogg's is doing now is, is, is showing far, pictures of farmers in the retail stores saying, This farmer, Father, Farmer John,
1: mm-hmm.
6: grew this wheat sustainably that goes into this cereal. So ultimately, we want the, the, the consumer to get the data on the food that they're buying so right. that they can ma- make choices around sustainably grown foods. That's the well, answer. I-
1: I, well, and can, I was just going to say, Jason, like you and I talk about this about our kids and how they turn around the boxes of things right. and what's in it in terms of ingredients. But I do think, Jason, that we're getting towards a world where people are going to like, where did this come from? Right. What were the sustainability initiatives?
0: Well, and it's so interesting, too, because with that bottoms-up approach that we're talking about that happens mm-hmm. around our kitchen tables, it feels like, Eric, we're also seeing a top-down from the boardroom level. You know, And I wanted to ask you about that because you've served in very senior positions in a number of companies. You're currently uh, on the board, I believe, of Eli Lilly, among others. What are those conversations like in the boardroom now versus what they might have been a few <laughs> years ago?
6: Well, it, it used to be on the side you know every now and then you'd have a conversation about ESG or sustainability or whatever
1: wasn't on the agenda perhaps <laughs> maybe <laughs> yeah
6: maybe or maybe even you had a committee you know there's some a few people that didn't really want to be on that committee but but somebody would do it now it's right at the heart of the board's discussions Alexandra is is right there with our board talking about Sustainability is, 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 is our business. It's not, it's not right. some side thing.
1: Well, that's so interesting, right? Because you know, for a long time, I feel like we, in the technology world, we talked about the IT people, it was a whole separate department, now they have a seat at the table. And I feel like sustainability, it's no longer like, yeah, those are those guys in the back corner, I don't know what they do. You have a seat at the table, you're in the room when decisions are happening, Alexandra.
7: Oh, absolutely, and we understand how much that thinking changes our practice, changes what is demanded from growers, So if we are there, it's absolutely critical for our business success and for the growth. Um, Is it going to all be more expensive? Well, I don't think so. I think technologies are a great driver for productivity and will continue to be so. So I don't expect us to be more expensive in food production, but being able to produce food much more different uh, with good technologies and enabling policies for these technologies.
0: All right, so, Eric, let's uh, talk about your business a little bit. We are, after all, Bloomberg. What's next? Uh, IPO has been floated. Uh, What do you do next to sort of continue to fund, to build this company, to expand?
6: Yeah, so we were purchased two and a half years ago. We closed our deal with ChemChina. Mm -hmm. We said at that time that we would go public. We planned IPO within five years, so we've got two and a half years. I believe that we're on track. Our, Our performance is strong. The markets are challenging. But assuming that, that the, the, the agriculture markets continue to stabilize and, and, and have some improvement, I fully expect us to be able to IPO within the next year, two, two and a half years. Now, you've heard, think, there, there's been word out there that we're working with banks and we're getting ready, which is true, so that whenever the market conditions are pr- right and our performance is right, within the next two years, we're, we'll be ready to go public. Nothing sooner. Well, well, we'll see, but certainly nothing this year. But, but um, you know, something could happen in, in 2020 or 2021. But that's not what we're focused on. What we're focused on right now is creating a really great company, delivering strong results, and then the opportunity will open up.
1: One last question, and because we talk so much about being a private company. I mean, under yeah. China, just 30 seconds. Is it nicer to kind of be out of the public eye for a little bit?
6: It is. It's very nice. But I'll tell you, even when we go public again, it's nice to have an anchor shareholder that has the long view. Okay. That's willing to allow us to invest in things that take five or ten years technologies that are really going to make a difference.
1: Love getting some time with both of you. Thank you so much Eric Fearwald, CEO at Syngenta, Alexander Brand, Chief Sustainability Officer at Syngenta. Want to take you to London and the Brexit vote.
8: To be moved formally. I beg to move. move formally. Thank you. The question is as on the order paper. As many well as other have been say aye. aye. of the country no. Aye.
1: So it looks like the government winning this vote. Uh, I'm just looking, uh, Jason, at our Bloomberg Live blog when it comes to uh, the UK Parliament uh, voting on this Brexit bill. So uh, the Prime Minister Johnson winning his first vote on the Brexit legislation. Keep in mind there are two votes. This first vote was what's known as the second reading vote. And this was basically on whether Parliament agrees with the general principles of Boris Johnson's bill. There will be another vote immediately afterward. uh, So that will be on his proposed fast-track timetable for passing along the law. And, you know, you started off earlier talking about your conversation with David Weston. I mean, we have so many times in this process talked about historic moments uh, in terms of Brexit. This is a big one. And this This ultimately, you know, we'll figure out, you know, what happens, and if we get something done, and if we now have a real timetable in place.
0: Well, and this is a win for Boris Johnson, I think, Absolutely. unmitigated, at least for the moment. And obviously, we know that this story changes from moment to moment, for sure. Uh, but Boris Johnson, who has had a very, very tough uh, few weeks dealing with his own party, certainly the broader parliament, certainly the EU, public opinion, all of it, Uh, He pulled out a win. It was close-ish, I guess, 329 to 299. Uh, The pound holding its gains, we should say. Right. Uh, And our colleagues over in the Top Live blog saying that 329 to 299, it's quite a wide gap. And uh, Robert Hutton, Rob Hutton, who's covered this so closely, saying that Johnson might have enough leeway to lose some support and still get the timetable he wants through. And that's going to be the key here, right, Carol, is whether that October 31st timetable still holds for the UK to leave the EU. It's it's sort of remarkable where we are right now. Yeah,
1: exactly. That second vote, though, is considered to be more important of the two uh, and for the government more difficult to win. Let's get into this with Dr. Sam Adipoff. He's president at Empire Global Ventures, joining us on the phone from Washington, D.C. He's worked at the U.S. Department of Commerce, the ECB, the European Central Bank, the German Bundesbank. He's got a great global perspective. So Sam, weigh in, one vote down, another to go. What does today's vote so far tell you?
9: Uh, I think it tells us that both politicians and Britons are exhausted over Brexit. And some of this is just, let's get this done and move on. And uh, Boris Johnson has very cleverly harnessed that. But let's remember what Brexit is. Brexit has wrecked British politics. It's damaged the British economy. It's reduced its international status. And it threatens the very nature of the United Kingdom because it opens the door for Scotland and Northern Ireland to leave. So, again, he won one vote. I believe it's the first vote he's won as prime minister. Right. The second vote he's going to the second vote's coming up. He's he, the, the projections where he's going to lose that. But there's what's going on in the House of Commons and there's what's going to go on in the country. And they're very different.
0: Well, and remind us, uh, Sam, about the importance of Northern Ireland here, the DUP specifically, because it feels like they're part of the swing here, and that all goes to this border with Ireland, right?
9: Northern Ireland has long taken the position that it is the most dutiful daughter of the British crown, that it is inexorably part of Great Britain, and there's a difference, strong difference of opinion among religionists in Northern Ireland between the Protestants who wish to remain part of Britain and the Catholics who do not problem is is that boris johnson in running to become prime minister within the conservative party said i will never create a red line between britain and northern ireland the bill that just passed did just that so boris johnson lied to the dup he just proved it with a vote and that's why they're voting against him now
1: So I'm thinking as investors, right, we've been just, like you talk about fatigue, and I think we we laugh about it, the story that keeps on giving, but there are many macro stories out there that I feel like keep on giving. Um, But it sounds like you're expecting, at least at this point, we are getting ready to potentially at least see the end of it. And that could be good or bad, though, in terms of the market environment, um, especially the European market environment.
9: Look, uh, I think you're exactly right. I think investors want clarity, clarity overall. If, the, if Brexit is to be the path, let's take Brexit. But as a result of the preparations for Brexit, five banks in the city of London, Deutsche Bank, J.P. Morgan, Goldman Sachs, Citigroup and Morgan Stanley transferred $857 billion of, ba- of balance sheet assets from Frankfurt, from London to Frankfurt, or 10 percent of the money in the U.K. banking system. Honda closed down. Uh, a car-making manufacturing plant in Central Britain, Central England, because as a result of leaving the EU, there'll be a 10% tariff on this. If you're an investor and you're looking at Great Britain, you may get stability, but this may be more of a distressed asset than you thought two Mm -hmm. weeks ago.
0: Wow. And so what is an investor looking for here? To your point, it's stability to some extent, a timeline for sure. Does that mean... In your estimation, do companies take at least a little pause here to figure out does October thirty first stick? Are we waiting longer? What do you expect companies to do in this very sort of brief interim period?
9: Well, I think larger companies have been planning for Brexit for some time. Yeah. Um, Land Rover and Jaguar—they have been saying, you know, we are, you know, we are ostensibly British companies but we are having to plan for an enormously difficult process for us. So banks have been planning, large corporates have been planning. The problem is smaller British companies haven't been able to plan because they haven't had that flexibility. And if Boris Johnson wins this next vote, Brexit happens on Thursday.
1: You know, it's interesting. I'm, I'm looking at our Bloomberg Live blog. We love this, where our our whole team is weighing in on this. And Robert Hutton, our UK government reporter, says appearances can be deceptive on this, meaning Brexit and the Brexit vote. On Saturday, I watched the DUP head for the no lobby, or so I thought. It turned out they voted yes. So it ain't over until it's over, Sam, right? I mean, you just never know, ultimately, how things will end, even if you think you understand someone's position going into it
9: you're absolutely right and when it comes to the dup their own position uh, their own political position at home is quite challenging but again when investors look at this they they tend to like to hear what's going on the ceo of jaguar land rover said that brexit was jeopardizing eighty billion pounds in its future investments into the uk and that a bad brexit would cost jaguar land rover over one point two billion pounds in profit every year You never know what's going to happen. And with Brexit, we've all been made fools of many times, but people who are spending money on participating in the British economy, they've been watching closely and they've thought this thing was over for a long time.
0: And so, Sam, as you think about the global implications of this, I mean, obviously, this is an incredibly important story domestically in the UK and regionally for Europe, But what about elsewhere? Back here in the United States, how are people viewing this? Because all eyes have been, especially over the last week or so, it feels like on something close to a resolution here. If you're a central banker, if you're a CEO, what are you thinking right now?
9: Uh, The central bankers want to get back to managing monetary policy, and they're really (laughs) tired of focusing on this. If you're a president and you look out at the world, you see that the United States is beginning to get um, caught in the grip of an Im- impeachment hearings. The EU is paralysed by Brexit, yeah. so that economic so that economic energy is shifting more to Asia.
1: So, Sam, Sam, hang on a second. We do have uh, members of Parliament coming back to their seats at this point. We just want to update everybody. We did have the DUP voting against the UK government's timetable. That's coming from the BBC. So we're getting a little bit more information at that. Forgive me, Sam. Go ahead.
9: Um, so if you know, investors may see that the U.S. market, while it's growing, may not be a value buy at this point, that um, Britain is something, is a longer-term investment uh, in in terms of a distressed asset, and that the EU hasn't come to grips with how its economy is going to change, and that smaller Asian countries may be uh, a real opportunity for investment opportunities.
1: Sam, I do wonder if this process, how how pained it has been and tortured that are other countries who maybe are not so happy as being part of the European bloc thinking, okay, there's no way I would, I would step back? Are there others who might see if ultimately Brexit looks like it'll happen, will say, well, maybe that's a consideration?
9: I think you're exactly right. And the EU has deeply, has deeply been angry about this process, but it sent a very clear signal to anyone thinking of leaving the EU,
0: you don't want to try this. And so, you know, Sam, it's also interesting to think about this timetable, and it goes back to what you said about investors wanting stability. If this gets lengthened, if we go, you know, another month, another two months, I mean, that I would imagine will have continue to have real economic effect as people, as you say, continue to make some decisions, but maybe don't make their final decisions as this takes another twist and turn.
9: I think the key international economic institutions that were in london have left yeah um the clearinghouse businesses they have created mirror images in the eu so that they can continue doing their euro dollar business um major banks as i said have moved 900 you know 900 billion pounds out of britain um key EU institutions, their version of the Food and Drug Administration, they have moved out of London and moved to Amsterdam. So the big institutional decisions and reassessments, they've already taken place. Now, so big decisions have been taken. Now we'll find out when the rubber hits the road for everybody else.
1: Right. When it really... This is it, folks. Tim Ross, our U.K. government team leader on our Bloomberg Live blog, saying, I'm inside the Commons Chamber where MPs are excitedly chattering to each other. Johnson, of course, Prime Minister Boris Johnson, has voted. Now he's back on the front bench looking relaxed and sharing a joke with an MP. Uh, I mean, you know, no doubt about it, Sam, though, this is a really big day for him and in terms of support or no support.
9: Let's be clear. Boris Johnson did something that none of his predecessors could do. He won a vote on Brexit. That's that's historic. Theresa May, with a, a, a very different bill, was defeated multiple times. Boris Johnson, in his first key vote on Brexit, got a win that his party was desperate for. If Boris Johnson wins the next vote, he will be able to lead a unified conservative party into a general election saying, we did Brexit. Now let's look to the future. Brexit is the issue that divides his party, and therefore he'd be very likely to win the next general election if he wins this next vote.
1: Let's just rehash what has happened. Boris Johnson, uh, as we've been talking, clinching a dramatic vote for his new Brexit plan in the first demonstration that Parliament is prepared to approve the broad principles of an agreement that takes the UK out of the European Union. Before all of this happens, though, they will also vote on whether to accept the prime minister's accelerated timetable for the legislation to pass before October 31st. And that's uh, where we are right now, Jason.
0: Well, and I should point out, Carol, that the pound is weakening versus the dollar right now as these headlines start to come through, that the DUP, of course, uh, representing Northern Ireland, has... Uh, Not voted with Prime Minister Boris Johnson. The pound had spiked on news of the initial win, that win on that first vote, uh, but now it is falling. It has, in the words of one of our colleagues, reversed its meager gain (laughs) ahead of the Mm -hmm. second vote, and perhaps indeed the headlines on the DUP weighing there. So we will await and see where this vote turns out. We do expect uh, we noted that Boris Johnson, the Prime Minister, was making notes. He will stand up and say something, probably regardless of mm-hmm. wh- uh, which way this vote goes, I should say.
1: Yeah, we're going to continue to watch and monitor the process out of the UK Parliament. Of course, wait uh, for news of that second vote. In the meantime, let's get you caught up on uh, the world of business and also a check on trading here in the United States. Here is Charlie Pellett. And
5: I thank you very much. Here's what's going on U.S. equities, they are trading mix right now. We've got the Dow, the S&P both higher. Nasdaq on the minus side right now. Looking at sterling dollar twenty nine seventeen amid this Brexit vote. We've got the tenure year up 332 seconds with the yield of one point seven eight percent. Gold higher, little changed, up forty five cents the ounce at fourteen eighty four. West Texas Intermediate crude up one point seven percent, fifty four twenty three a barrel. The Dow up ninety, a gain of three tenths of one SP up three, up by one tenth. NASDAQ again down two-tenths of 1%. S&P rising towards a 12-week high. I'm Charlie Pellett, and that is a Bloomberg Business Flash.
1: All right, Charlie, thank you so much. You're listening to Bloomberg Business Week. Carol Masser in our Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studio in New York. Jason Kelly in our Los Angeles Bureau. We've been talking with Doc. Dr. Sam Nadapov, president at Empire Global Ventures, on the phone from Washington, D.C. We've been talking about the Brexit vote, one vote down in uh, favor of uh, Boris Johnson. But right now, it's all about the timetable. And, you know, you have to keep in mind that if he cannot get this legislation through by October 31st, it'll be in the hands of the European Union to decide whether to grant an extension to January 31st that's sought by uh, the UK Parliament or to opt for a shorter or longer delay. If the bloc refuses to do so, the UK will be on track to crash out of the EU without a deal on October 31st. If this does not go and the timetable isn't approved, Sam, is a hard Brexit kind of a done deal?
9: Um, I, I think that's highly possible. Again, Brexit has made fools of us all. <laughs> but the <laughs> But the best analysis of Brexit that I've heard came from U.S. Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi, because the question she always asks is, do you have the votes? Does Boris Johnson have the votes in the House of Commons? Are there the votes in the European Council of Ministers to approve the delay? Do you have the votes? They had the votes when it came to the Brexit um, referendum in 2016. They just had them about 15 minutes ago. Will they have them five minutes from now?
0: Right. And all of this does come down, Carol, as you were just saying, to this question of the timetable. Um, We do, you know, you're watching pictures there. The chamber is filling up again, so it won't be long before we get this next result. Uh, Rob Hutton, who is inside the chamber, is saying that Chief Whip Whip Mark Spencer is kneeling and talking to Boris Johnson. Rob Hutton sees that as a bad sign, sort of preparing Mm -hmm. the prime minister to speak after a potential debate. Defeat here. Headlines uh, that we are saying uh, that the DUP did not support Boris Johnson. Let's on go this. back
1: to the UK Parliament.
0: The eyes to the right, three
3: hundred and eight. The nose to the left, three hundred and twenty-two. <laughs>
8: the eyes to the right, three hundred and eight. The nose to the left. Three hundred and twenty two. So the nose have it. The nose have it. Unlocked. <laughs> but,
3: uh, but, uh, point of order, Mr Jeremy Corbyn. Thank you, Mr Speaker. On Saturday this House emphatically rejected the Prime Minister's deal. Tonight the House has well, You're too hasty, I've not finished yet. Tonight the House has refused to be bounced into debating a hugely significant piece of legislation in just two days, with barely any notice and an analysis of the economic impact of this bill. The Prime Minister is the author of his own misfortune, so I make this offer to him tonight. Work with us, work with us, all of us, to agree a reasonable timetable, and I suspect this House will vote to debate, scrutinise, and I hope amend the detail of this bill. That would be the sensible way forward, and that's the offer I make on behalf of the opposition tonight. Point of order, the Prime Minister. Point of order.
5: say in response Mr. Speaker how welcome it is uh, even joyful uh, that for the first time in this long saga this house has actually accepted its uh, responsibilities uh, together come together and embraced a deal uh, I, I congratulate honourable members across the house on the scale of our collective achievement because just a few weeks ago hardly anybody believed that we could reopen uh, the withdrawal agreement let alone abolish the backstop that is indeed what they were saying and certainly nobody thought that we could secure the approval of the House for a new deal. And we should not uh, overlook the significance of this moment. And I pay particular tribute to those members of the House who were sceptical and who had difficulties and doubts and who decided to place the national interest ahead of any other consideration. But, Mr Speaker I must express my disappointment that the house has again uh, voted for delay rather than a timetable that would have guaranteed that the UK would be in a position to leave the EU on October the 31st with a deal and we now face further uncertainty and the EU must now make up their minds over how to answer Parliament's request for a delay and the first consequence mr speaker is that the government must take the only responsible course and accelerate our preparations for a no-deal outcome but secondly I will speak I will speak to EU member states about their intentions until they have reached a decision until uh, they have reached a decision I must say we will pause this legislation and let me, let me be clear let me be clear Our policy remains that we should not delay, that we should leave the EU on October 31st. And that is is what I will say to the EU and I will report back to the House. And one way or another, we will leave the EU with this deal to which this House has just given its assent. Across the House for that hard-won agreement.
8: Point of order, Mr.
3: Ian Blackford. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. And I must say I find the response of the Prime Minister quite extraordinary. Because the facts of the matter are
8: the Right Honourable Gentleman is entitled to raise a point of order and He is entitled to be heard. Let's hear the right honourable member and then we will expedite
3: progress. Mr Ian Blackford. Thank you Mr Speaker. The facts of the matter are this is yet another humiliating defeat for the Prime Minister this evening who has sought to railroad through this extension but also in terms of protecting Scotland's national interest as to what options are open to us.
8: Right Honourable Gentleman, but I have a sense that his question is largely rhetorical. I say that in no disobliging spirit. I don't think the Right Honourable Gentleman needs my advice, or even if he does, he doesn't need it tonight. And so we'll leave it there for now. And we can't... Oh, no, no. Well, well, you I been say listening? this in
0: okay. no uh, disobliging spirit, Carol Masser, but this is a little bit of a mess that we find ourselves in. We've been listening uh, to a lot of back and forth there in the UK Parliament. Boris Johnson, the Prime Minister, winning one. And losing one but losing a big one in the sense of we don't know exactly what happens next.
1: Yeah, that's exactly. So two votes happened. The first one rather quickly, and that was basically the UK Parliament voting to accept his Brexit, Boris Johnson's Brexit bill. That was followed by another one, and that's where Boris Johnson lost. And that was basically to fast track uh, the Brexit law. We did hear from Boris Johnson, still committed to it, but he also did say we now face further uncertainty. The European Union must now make up uh, their minds. So that's basically uh, where we want. Jeremy Corbyn, Uh, leader of the Labor Party. We did hear from him. He says he wants uh, a reasonable timetable. So that's kind of where we are at this moment. Dr. Sam Natapoff has been kind enough uh, to sit through uh, listening to the UK Parliament and stay with us. President of Empire Global Ventures on the phone from Washington, D.C. You've worked uh, around the world with different organizations um, based on these two votes and based on what you've been hearing, Sam, now what?
9: We've just heard that Boris Johnson's first victory as prime minister spells the end of the, of the United Kingdom. You just heard Scotland say, now that there's Brexit, we will seek independence again, as we did a few years ago with a referendum, and this time they're likely to be successful. Boris Johnson has also created an institutional structure that puts a red line between Britain and Northern Ireland. And so there is a possible future where Northern Ireland is no longer part of the United Kingdom. So just understand what's happened in the last ten minutes. Boris Johnson got his first victory, which may have cost him the European Kingdom, uh, the the United Kingdom.
0: And so, what do you imagine happens next? What is Europe's play in all of this? The EU has been. More or less letting this play out, you know they've largely you know they've weighed in at, at various times. Boris Johnson saying, Prime Minister Boris Johnson saying he will go back to the EU and then report back to the Parliament. What do you imagine the EU stance is here? The EU stance has been very consistent from the beginning. They
9: want a clear signal from Britain about how Brexit is to be prosecuted, and then once Britain has sent that clear message, the EU will decide. At this point. It would not surprise me that the EU will give Britain a few more more minutes to manage its its internal issues now that the parliament has asked for a period of time uh, to go through this. But that raises another key issue. It's not just that this is going to take longer. Mm. It's that the parliament is going to scrutinize the agreement and propose amendments. This is exactly the same thing that's happening in the United States right now where the executive branch with President Trump is saying that the legislative branch oversight of him is functioning as a lynching. What we're having is the executive Boris Johnson fighting it out with the parliament, and then Boris Johnson's going to go to Brussels and tell the European Union, really, you should give us more time, but I don't mean it. (laughs)
1: Right. Well, and it's interesting too. And I, you know, again going back to our Bloomberg Live blog, you know, there was no mention of pulling the bill. There was no mention of an election, which I believe Boris Johnson had said he would maybe do if uh, he lost um, this vote. Uh, so, no mention of that. Um, yeah, I think it's staggering. I think what you said, and I kind of had a pause after you said it, that you know, the undoing. I feel like it's the final undoing. Of um, the British Kingdom, uh, in terms of how we know it, or have known it for so long
9: the, the the United Kingdom, the British monarchy and empire, was an analog construction. What we're seeing now is a digital a, a digital extrication of of smaller units that can efficiently or less efficiently function within a wider market. Old traditions. Are being set aside. One of them, one of them has just been unravelled in, in to our ears. That's an extraordinary thing we heard from Scotland, and uh, that will go in the history books about Boris Johnson and David Cameron who started this.
0: Right. And so let's recap sort of where we are. We've had two votes in the UK Parliament today. One, uh, essentially, the Parliament really for the first time supporting a deal put forth by the Prime Minister in this case. Boris Johnson to leave the EU. Subsequently, a vote against the timeline that Prime Minister Boris Johnson had recommended and put forth. Where that leaves us, interestingly, is not necessarily where we expected to be, Carol, because Boris Johnson had made noises about either crashing out on October 31st, which by the way, that's next week. It's sort of interesting to think, at least for me, I thought, oh wow, October 31st really is coming up very soon. But also this idea that he would call for a general election. He has done none of those things yet. He has essentially said, we're going to look for an extension, a short extension to get this deal that parliament has approved done. Now, that is contingent on a number of things, including, as Dr. Sam Natapoff laid out, the EU getting on board with this notion of agreeing to a deal and agreeing to some length of extension. And we don't know exactly what. That is going to look like
1: Sam. I am curious. So, what does this mean? What is the new world order going forward with the UK potentially? We assume out of uh, the European bloc, maybe Northern or Ireland going off on its own as well. Um, how does that change that global landscape, particularly over in Europe?
9: Well, you know, Scotland and Northern Ireland. Um, would would develop their own national identities and and proclaim them but the the loss of britain from the european union and the loss of london as the european financial capital that has already sent shockwaves around the world Um, so as a result of this new york city has emerged as the undisputed financial capital which has benefited the U.S. economy tremendously. There's been tremendous uh, capital flight and human capital flight from Britain to the United States in the financial sector. But it is this voluntary decision by the people of Great Britain to leave the European Union that has set all of this in motion. 17.4 million Britons said they wanted to leave. And today, for the first time, the House of Commons passed a bill that will allow them to do just that.
0: All right. Well, we're very grateful to you, Dr. Sam Natapoff, president of Empire Global Ventures. Unwittingly, Carol signed up to essentially be a guest host with us for this first hour (laughs) of uh, the Brexit negotiations. Everything that's happening in the UK. Really, really value his uh, expertise. He's been a great voice for us all along the way. And we're not done yet because we know we'll have him back as this continues to take some twists and turns.
1: All right. Let's get to World of National News headlines for that. Let's check in once again with...